Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. One of my favorite um, comic strips from years ago was Calvin and Hobbes. And yeah, those names did come after John Calvin and Thomas Hobbes, but um, I don't have my clicker up here. Does anybody have my clicker? Can someone bring that to me, please? Or you can just advance slides from the back. That would be okay. Um, There's a comic strip, Calvin and Hobbes, years ago, where Calvin says, there's no problem so awful that you can't add a little guilt to it and make it worse. (laughs) Another comic strip named Kathy, you might remember some of the older people among us from a long time ago. There's a strip where Kathy is sitting there. She's alone with her thoughts, and she's thinking about all the things that she could have done for her family and for her friends and for her puppy and for her diet and for all the millions of people throughout the world that she'd never met before. And she says to herself, I'm not going anywhere, but it seems like I have 300 pounds of luggage with me. Maybe some of you today are coming to this worship service and you're carrying luggage, the luggage of guilt, guilt over angry words that you've spoken, maybe even this morning on the way to church, maybe guilt over some broken promises, things left undone, sexual sins from your past. And particularly as we pick up where we left off last week, Romans chapter 7, where we learned about the Christian's daily struggle, this internal conflict that exists within each one of us where we're doing things we don't want to do and doing the thing, not doing the things we do want to do. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. We find ourselves with this struggle and we're not living the victorious life that we hear about. We're not feeling emotionally fulfilled maybe and we start to wonder if there's something wrong with us and that leads us to feel guilty. This all could be made worse by the fact that some of you might be married to critical spouses or maybe you've come from homes with very demanding parents. Maybe you have a boss who can't seem to be pleased and all of this just compounds to make that luggage heavier. And quite frankly, let's just admit it, sometimes going to church doesn't help. Sometimes churches are the worst culprit in heaping guilt upon people when pastors preach law a lot more than they preach grace, and particularly in legalistic environments where we find ourselves overcome with endless requirements and rules and regulations. The luggage gets heavier. Well, today we're continuing in our study of the book of Romans, which we're calling the greatest letter ever written. You might remember back in chapter 3, verses 21 and 26, I called that the greatest paragraph ever written. And today we're beginning chapter 8 of Romans, which some say is the greatest chapter of the Bible, the greatest chapter ever written. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, that if you get today the glorious truth of what is taught in these first four verses of Romans 8, it will be the wonderful, the most wonderful discovery in your life. And the discovery and what is being taught to us here in Romans 8 is this wonderful declaration that there is no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. So Romans 8, 1 through 4 is our text. Stand please for the reading of God's word. Romans 8, starting with verse 1. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Holy Spirit, we look to you and pray and ask, open our hearts and minds to behold wonderful things in this great chapter of this great letter in your great word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to say at the outset here that what we're going to learn from Romans 8 here is really nothing new. Uh, you're going to hear me say a lot of things that you hear us say here pretty much every Sunday, but I think that's important uh, to think about because sometimes we think that what we really need is something new to make our lives different, and I would say, no, that's not what you need. What you really need is to be reminded and to believe more fervently something very old, and that is this great gospel message that Paul is talking to us about here in Romans 8. No condemnation. Just two things I want to share with you today that come out of this these first four verses, and the first thing is this. As we think about how this is accomplished, how is it that a person can say that he or she faces no condemnation for, from God? And the first thing is simply this, that God justifies people through his Son. This is what we see in the first three verses of Romans 8. God justifies through his Son. Now, that word justifies is not included in the text. It's not specifically written down, but the concept of justification is. So in the first verse it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's basically a definition of justification. Justification is the opposite of condemnation. And what Paul is saying here is that for those who are in Christ Jesus, you are not guilty any longer. This is what justification means. It's a declaration of God that you are righteous in His sight through faith and not guilty before His law. Your guilt has been removed. Your burden has been lifted. The luggage has been carried. You have been set free, as it says in verse 2, from the law of sin and of death. That's what it is to have no condemnation before you. And notice he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. What Paul seems to be saying here is that this isn't just something that kind of comes and goes. It's not as if you are freed from condemnation as soon as you confess a sin, but then as soon as you commit another sin, you fall back under condemnation again, and you're going back and forth in between these two states. No, what Paul is saying is that for the Christian, the one in Christ Jesus... There is no condemnation for you now, nor will there ever be condemnation for you. It's a wonderful thing. The most powerful words ever written and ever spoken. Now notice at the end of verse 1, as I've been saying, that Paul says that this 
state of being in no condemnation is for a particular group of people. It's for those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have placed personal faith in Christ. And so the implication here is that there are those who are not in Christ Jesus who still are under God's condemnation. So I want to be clear that we're not saying that God's wrath and anger is something that is non-existent anymore. It's non-existent for the Christian, but God still is wrathful towards sin. And so if you are not in Christ Jesus, if you are not a Christian today, you are still under this condemnation. And so that leads us to realize that there's really two kinds of people that I'm speaking to this morning. And the first group is those who are under condemnation, who think they are not, and that applies to, to a lot of unbelievers. If they really understood they were under condemnation, they would probably flee to Jesus for forgiveness, but many unbelievers don't believe that God is angry at them. So they're under condemnation, but they think they're not. But here's the other group. It's those who are not under condemnation who think they are. And that's a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians, a lot of you, live that way. I live that way during certain times of my life. We're not under condemnation, but we're laboring under this delusion that we are. So I'm speaking, I think, to mostly Christians here this morning. So if this is a problem for you and you're carrying heavy luggage, I want to ask you, why are you continuing to carry that luggage? Why are you continuing to carry your guilt? And maybe it would help to kind of think through this a little bit because there is such a thing as false guilt. It could be that you're carrying guilt that you really don't need to be carrying because it's not really anything to be guilty about. A lot of us carry false guilt. We, again, hear about these you know, stories of the victorious Christian life. We hear about radical Christians we hear about those who are on fire for the Lord. We hear these descriptions of certain Christians who seem to be excelling in ways far beyond us, and we look at them and we kind of feel guilty because we're not like them. And I would say that is not something for you to feel guilty about. Christians grow and develop at different levels. Spirit works in different ways in different people. Some of us feel guilty because of a certain personality that we have. Some of us might be a little more melancholy. Maybe we suffer from depression. Maybe we have low energy. And again, we see others who aren't quite like that. We feel different. We feel peculiar. And that might lead us to feel guilty. But you don't have to feel guilty about that. God has made us all different. He's given different temperaments to his people. Uh, some of you might be feeling guilty because you haven't committed yourself to, say, the pastoral ministry or to be a missionary, to be a crew staff person, when a lot of your friends have. And so you feel like you're not quite as good of a Christian as them because they made this serious vocational decision. But God calls us into all kinds of vocations. That's not anything for you to feel guilty about. Maybe you've grown up in a household and you had a brother or a sister who just always excelled you at everything. And mom and dad always gave them more credit and more attention than you, and you kind of feel guilty that you're not like that other person. That also is nothing for you to feel guilty about. Maybe some of you have suffered some kinds of abuse in your past, physical or sexual abuse, and 
as I understand it, that often is the occasion for people to feel guilty. Even though they've been the victim, they still feel guilty. That is nothing for you to feel guilty about. There's a lot of false guilt. Maybe you're carrying luggage you don't have to in that respect. But there's also true guilt, of course, real guilt. That is, we are sinners, and we have done things that have offended God. But sometimes we have real guilt, but we deal with it in the wrong way. So, for instance, we might know that we've offended God or offended friends, spouse, family in some way. We've committed some sins, and we feel guilty about it. And by the way, guilt is not all bad. When we feel guilty, that could be just the Holy Spirit alerting us to a sin that needs to be confessed, and that's a good thing. But here is the wrong way that we sometimes deal with guilt. We might deny it, just try to rationalize it away. We might shift blame to somebody else or kind of reinterpret the Bible in a particular way to make it seem like the thing that we're guilty of is not something to be guilty of. We might try to deny our sin. We might try to do better. You know, I'll just live a really good life now, and then hopefully the good life that I live in the years to come will outdo or transcend the bad life that I've lived in years past. And then I can get rid of my guilt. Some of us even resort to a kind of self-atonement, where to deal with our guilt, we'll just deny ourselves something. We'll punish ourselves in some way. We might even find ourselves falling into a kind of self-loathing. We hate ourselves because of the sins that we've committed. And we think somehow that's going to overcome our guilt. We might even decide to just feel more guilty and we take some pleasure in the guilty feeling because we think the more guilty we feel, the more likely God will accept our guilty feelings in place of our sin. These are all examples of real guilt, true guilt dealt with in the wrong way. But friends, here is what we're learning in Romans chapter 8, that only God has dealt with real guilt in the right way. Only God has done that. Only the God of the Bible. And so as we go on here in this passage, we see how that works. What did God do? Verse 3, what did he do? He did something that you and I can't do. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. The law of God given to us for obedience in our weakness of flesh is something we can't fulfill. We can't obey it in such a way to overcome our guilt. So what did God do? He, the middle of verse 3, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Now, look at that phrase. This is an interesting phrase. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice that he doesn't say in the likeness of flesh as if he sent his son to be someone who's kind of like a human being, similar to a man. That's an ancient heresy called docetism, that Jesus wasn't fully man. That's not what Paul is saying here. He doesn't say in the likeness of flesh. But nor does he say that he has sent his son in sinful flesh either. In other words, he didn't send Jesus to come 
in sinful flesh to commit sins like you and I have committed sins. Instead, the phrase is, by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, God sent his son, Jesus, who is, was a real man who was sinless in every way. Obeyed the Father in his thoughts, his words, and his deeds every moment of his life. There is only one person in all of history who can say, I have no guilt, and that is Jesus Christ. Guiltless, flawless, blameless. And God the Father sent this Son in this way so that at the end of verse 3, he could condemn sin in the flesh. What Paul's talking about there is the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus went to die on the cross, sin was condemned. Now, if Jesus didn't sin, lived a blameless life, then whose sin is it that was condemned on the cross? It wasn't his sin. It was your sin. It was my sin. The luggage that you're carrying, the bondage that you feel, the guilt that is weighing down on you was punished in Jesus. God took those things laid them on him, and then condemned them there at the cross in Jesus so that you wouldn't be condemned for those things. That's, that's the gospel. That's the essence of the gospel. That's so central to the gospel. There's nothing more important for you to know than that. That's why we say this over and over again. Every single Sunday you hear this here, and we don't apologize for that because <laughs> it's easy to forget, and I think... If we would all be honest, that we would admit that we struggle with guilt. We say on the one hand we believe this, and yet we struggle with guilt. There's a disconnect there somewhere, friends. I believe there's no condemnation for me, but I still carry this guilt. Why? Why? That's why you've got to hear it all the time. That's why we've got to say it over and over. That's why you've got to preach it to yourself all the time. This is what Paul is saying here. Your sins laid on Jesus. Why, why, friends, are you punishing yourself for sins that have already been punished? Why are you doing that to yourself? You see this in other places in the scriptures. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him, Jesus, to be sin. But he's the one who knew no sin. He was guiltless. So whose sin is that? That's our sin. So that in Jesus, we, the sinner, can become righteous. The righteousness of God given to us through faith because our Savior took our sin upon himself. That's what Paul is declaring to us today. No condemnation. Friends, if you're not a Christian and you're laboring under guilt, do you, do you understand how, how quickly and easily it can occur for you that today you can be relieved of your sin? You can have that baggage lifted. You can have that black cloud removed. You can turn to Jesus right now and receive him as your savior. And no matter what it is that you've done in your life, you can know that this statement is true for you. No condemnation. If you're a Christian, what is it that you're carrying, friends? Maybe it's time not spent in prayer. Maybe it's failure to get through the Bible in a year. Maybe it's Years of wasted, or years wasted in various addictions and unbiblical 
divorce in your past, uh, neglect of a child. No condemnation for you. Do you believe that? Man, if you really believe that, I just don't see why we can't leave here the happiest people in the world. God has justified us through his son. And this is how he's done it. By sending this son, the God-man, Jesus Christ, so that in him, your and my sin would be punished. But verse 4 goes on. I, I can't just stop there. That's really good news. But we have to go on. We have to say something else that Paul is very clear about. And it's this, that God sanctifies then through his spirit. Now, the word sanctifies is not mentioned here either, just like the word justify isn't. But the concept of sanctification is, verse 4, Paul talks about our walk. That's what sanctification is. It's our day-to-day, lifelong walk with Jesus, the process by which we grow in holiness. Justification is this one-time event where God declares us not guilty through faith alone. We don't get re-justified throughout our lives. Justification's once and it's done. Sanctification continues. And in verse 4, this is what Paul is getting to. And he answers this question, which is this. I think it's a good one to ask. Why did God remove condemnation from you? Why did he send his son so that he could take your sin upon himself. Why did he go through this gospel thing for us? What, what, what's the idea? What, did, does he just want to make you feel better? He's concerned because you're hurt, and so he wants to make sure that your spirit is uplifted? Is that why he did this? Because he wants you to feel authenticated? Because he wants you to have your best life now? Is that why God did this? So that you can, now, you can be more confident and you can feel self-confident in yourself? Verse 4, very clear. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that, so that, it's a purpose clause, for the purpose of this, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, in you. Notice it says fulfilled in us and not fulfilled for us. I think that's important because there is a sense in which Jesus has obeyed the law for us. He has fulfilled all righteousness for us. And when we're justified, we receive that righteousness through faith alone. It's an imputed righteousness. That is a true statement. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about an imputed righteousness. He's not talking about a law that's been fulfilled on our behalf. He's talking about a law that is fulfilled in us. In us. Because look at the next phrase. In us who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. He's talking about our walk, our lives, the way we live. So what Paul is saying here is that the reason why God sent his son to be condemned for our sin is so that you and me would live our lives fully and completely and without hesitation or reserve for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's why. So that you guys would devote yourselves to Jesus in every part of your life, that you would hold nothing back from him, that you would obey him in every respect, that you would obey his law. You don't obey the law to be saved, but God saved you so that you would obey his law. 
John Stott says it very well here. The end that God had in view when sending his son was not our justification only through freedom from the condemnation of the law, but also our holiness through obedience to the commandments of the law. Friends, what is it that guides you when you try to think about the right thing to do in your life and you think about how to obey God and, and you want to know his will? You know, I think a lot of us might be confused about that. We, we have a lot of different ways of discerning God's will. Some of us, um, we just think about maybe what works. You know, I, I did these things here and it worked well for me. I didn't get any, in any trouble, so I guess that was the right thing to do. But, you know, that's called pragmatism. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not the way we discern what's right and wrong. Some of us just think about it as a heart thing. It's just like, well, what I feel in my heart, I just kind of sense that God is leading me to do this or that. And we make our decisions about what's right and wrong on that basis. That's called individualism. That's just you as an isolated individual making up right and wrong on your own. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Some of us just look at the culture and we just say, whatever everybody else believes, that's what I'm going to believe. If more people than not say something that's right, I'll say that's right. That's relativism. But what Paul is saying here is that he has given us his law. God has given us his law so that through the guidance of that law, we can order our lives according to his will. The law is not the ground for our justification, but it is the guide for our sanctification. Now, I've said here that God sanctifies us through his spirit. So at the end of verse 4, Paul makes this clear. He says, for those of us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So what does that mean? And I think what Paul is saying here is that that there is a way in which when you become a Christian, when you're born again, you're justified before God, the Holy Spirit comes to you and he does something very unique, very special with regard to the law. He does this. He writes the law on your heart. The Spirit puts the law in you in a unique and supernatural way. Not so that you can like, you know, have now memorized the law and can say it by rote, but so that your heart now has this new desire and natural inclination to want to do what God has commanded you to do. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says to the Corinthians, Corinthians, you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This is how it is that we, once being freed from condemnation, can now be equipped and transformed for sanctification. Our hearts have been changed, and now we submit to Jesus in all things. We realize that Jesus gave his all for us, and we respond by saying, now I'm going to give my all for him. And that only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the motivation from which we seek to obey God's law. Friends, I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again. It's so important. Do not base your justification on your sanctification. 
Do not base your standing with God on how you're performing as a Christian. Instead, base your sanctification on your justification. Your walk, your growth, your pursuit of Jesus is rooted and finds its power in the fact that for you who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, no matter how good or bad you perform. Isn't that good news? I mean, that, that, that is a God worth giving yourself for. I saw this uh, TV show years ago, ABC's 2020, and uh, Diane Sawyer was interviewing this missionary from Columbia, and she was telling the story of how her husband had been abducted, and it was a very dangerous situation, and so the family was rushed out of the country, and this woman was put on a helicopter, and so she was flown out of the city, and she said as she was flying above the city, she was looking down and just felt horrible because she knew her husband was still down there. And at the point she was having this interview, she still hadn't seen her husband and didn't know what had happened to him. And so Diane Sawyer asked her, said, when things like this happen, do you ever regret being a missionary? And this woman on ABC TV said, you know what? Some things are worth living for, and some things are worth dying for, and the gospel is worth dying for. We're going to sing now, Jesus Paid It All. And this song sums up very well what has been said here. Jesus paid it all, so no condemnation for you who are in Christ. But then our response to that is this, all to him I owe. Let's get ready to sing. Let me pray for us first. Lord in heaven, we thank you that you have removed condemnation and guilt and shame from us in your mercy and in your grace and in your Son. And Lord God in heaven, equip us to follow you now wherever you lead so that through your Spirit we would fulfill the righteous requirements of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand, please.